All right, where the dandelions are are friends, and there's hope just around the bend. Not that bend, the one that's way, way up there, that bend. This is Liquid Gold. Welcome back. My name's Mike Wolf, your host here today on the We Own This Town Network, weownthistown.net. This is our series, our new series called Garden Teened, where we dive into topics in the garden. Now that we are quarantined, we are also garden teened. So even though society starts to slowly open back up and people are faced with a completely changed world, we're still going to be out there in the garden, taking our time and trying to just learn as we go, try new things out there. And I'm going to pass on whatever little bits of knowledge and stuff I've picked up along the way. And again, you can find my book out on Turner Publishing, Garden to Glass, Grow Your Drinks from the Ground Up. I've got a link on my Instagram, Mike Wolf underscore Garden to Glass. There's a link on there. I want to throw a shout out to Jess Matchin, our lovely artist who does so many cool things for Liquid Gold and has art on her page as well, at Jess underscore Matchin, M-A-C-H-E-N. She's done some cool garden teen artwork for us that you'll see on our Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod. All right, I think I've gotten a lot of Instagram stuff out of the way. It's starting to heat up out there. And uh, as I record this podcast here in the home studio in Inglewood, Tennessee, over in East Nashville, it's going to be about 82 today. So the temperature's starting to climb up. We're going to start seeing more weeds. We're starting to, if we haven't planted everything, it's about time to be kind of putting everything into the ground. We're past Mother's Day. We had a late frost and typically the days that people plant a lot of summer vegetables summer herbs and get things rolling for tennessee middle tennessee is april 15th so we're way past that but uh, mother's day is another big day for folks that are looking for that date to start planting maybe you're in colorado maybe you're in, in some of these areas where it gets colder at night today we're talking about companion planting this is a way that you can look how to map out your garden. You can think about how you're planning things out by what grows well with what. Do cucumbers like to be growing right next to onions? Maybe not. Do squash and tomatoes like each other's company? So we're going to talk a little bit about how you can help your plants out by planting them next to friends. And they don't even have to really social distance. That's where we're going to throw in the little... uh, drum roll soundbite, Darren. Thank you. Um, we're also going to hear from our friend and your friend, Kenneth Dedman, my co-host here on Liquid Gold. He has been on a wild road trip in the wild open lands of West North America. Uh, he was in Wyoming recently, traveled across the great salt flats of Utah, and has ended up right near the Pacific Ocean, camping inside of a rock, I believe. We're going to hear from him as to where he's at and what he is doing out there in the world. We miss Kenneth here in Nashville, but always great to check in with him. And we'll have a little rhubarb. We talked about rhubarb on the last episode quite a bit. We'll have a little bit more on rhubarb today with a cocktail recipe, a rhubarb Collins. So rhubarb is something that if you are not able to start pulling it out of your garden because you've had it planted there for a few years or a year, it is something that you're starting to see out there in the markets. And there's actually some really cool historical things about rhubarb that we didn't really get to touch on last time that we will talk a little bit about later today. You can always hit us up on our Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod. I mentioned that. Also, our email, liquidgoldpod at gmail.com. 
You can email questions. We want to thank Christine from Denver. What's up, Christine? Hey. She had uh, suggested the companion planting topic. So, And it's been on my mind so much that it's like, yeah, we, we really should dive in a little bit more on companion planting because it can be so important, especially if, you're, if you are working with a small space for your garden or maybe you're just, you know, I really want to grow tomatoes or I really want to grow squash. What can I do to help these guys out, help these little babies out and help them grow? This is one little leg up that you can give some of your plants, your corn, your beans. They need each other. So we're going to dive in a little bit here on companion planting first. My first understanding of what companion planting was came through the three sisters method uh, from the Native Americans. It's something I learned about at the Native American Museum in Washington, D.C., I was there when I was really young, and then I was also there about five years ago um, on a trip to D.C. and love that place. They've got an amazing garden outside where they show you what the Three Sisters is all about. Luckily, I was there, I guess it was uh, September, so their garden was in full bloom. And they had the, the Three Sisters out there of squash, corn, and beans growing together. Just an incredible place. When we all get to go back out there in the world, uh, that's a place to check out. And that's where I first learned about companion planting and the three sisters. What is the three sisters and where does it come from? The tradition of calling these three crops the three sisters, corn, squash, beans, originated with the Haudenosaunee Indians, also known as the Iroquois. Haudenosaunee occupied the regions around the Great Lakes in the northeastern United States and Canada. All three types of these seeds are planted together in the same mound in, uh, in their planting method of that region, um, where the elevated mound that they're planted on assists with drainage and avoids some waterlogging of the plant's roots, which is important in that region because they get such abundant rainfall up there. So how close you're going to have these plants together is going to depend on how much moisture you're expecting in your area, how much moisture you get with your soil. Are you doing raised beds where your drainage is going to be a little bit better, or are you planting these right in the ground? So those are all things to consider. In the Southwest, there were traditions of planting the three sisters together, as well as in separate areas, totally separate areas, but just next to each other. Uh, in dry farmed areas like the Hopi and portions of the Navajo Nation, the three sisters are planted in separate areas with uh, fields with wide plant spacing to maximize limited water. And in areas the, with adequate water, they can be planted, again, closer together uh, to get all those benefits of being planted in the same cycle. But these were just bedrock plants, uh, vegetables, crops for Native Americans. And just something to remember as we get into all these beautiful summer vegetables that we can grow close to each other. One reason why this method of companion planting makes so much sense is you have beans that need to climb up a trellis or something like that, and the corn can provide that trellis as it's going to grow a little bit quicker than the beans, and so they can kind of work together. And uh, there's some cool info on this at nativeseeds.org. If you check them out, they've got some cool kind of diagrams of how you can do this. You typically want corn sort of in the middle and surrounded by beans so the beans can then crawl up. 
So much of this, too, is about pollination. We talked about pollination on the episode with honeysuckle and flowers, and that's something that we'll have to talk about ongoing because you need your pollinators if these plants are going to be successful. So corn is wind-pollinated, and while it is capable of self-pollinating, you do want to have you know at least 10 plants, and these plants will help pollinate each other. So the squash blossoms bring a lot of beautiful pollinators to your garden and the beans as well. And so they all kind of work together and it's just a beautiful thing. That's one of the my first instances and first things that I learned about with companion planting. So before we get into some other companion plants for corn, some of the other sisters that uh, Native Seeds has talked about Sunflowers and amaranth. Amaranth is grown quite a bit up kind of north of Middle Tennessee. I have seen it at markets and stuff. A lot of people are growing it up there. Sunflowers are big and do really well out here in Middle Tennessee. That could be another one. And then uh, watermelon and other gourds are also substituted for squash uh, from some of these native tribes where uh, the three sisters idea kind of originates. All right, so... Going on to corn here, if that is something you're interested in, hey, if we want to tie it into, you know, something you can use in a drink, well, you might need like 12 years, but you can make great whiskey with corn. Corn is one of those vegetables that if you're going to grow in Middle Tennessee, you probably want to look at, depending on what area you're in, if you're not in Middle Tennessee, ask around, maybe look into which varieties, which, uh, which varieties of corn have worked in your area? I know one that works well in Middle Tennessee. Peaches and cream is one you see a lot that uh, is pretty prolific for a lot of people and matures uh, relatively quickly. So you'll start to see that in markets maybe towards the end of next month even. But corn loves veggies if you're thinking about what you're going to pair it with, uh, what you're going to be planting it along with. Corn loves veggies that fix nitrogen in the soil, like the beans that we mentioned. So uh, corn is fascinating because it can be its own sort of trellis for some of these plants to climb up. So cucumbers and peas and pumpkins and melons are some other ones that work really well with corn. Uh, Zucchini, again, one of the three sisters, perfect to put right next to some corn. Apparently, the Farmer's Almanac, they have always recommended. Now, I had luck with tomatoes, but they were not right next to corn. But that's something that the Farmer's Almanac has always um, told gardeners to shy away from, planting tomatoes near corn because of corn earworms can can attack those tomato plants. So you you want those a little bit further apart um, so you're not aiding the spread of pests in your garden. So that's something to think about with corn. There have been some cool corn cocktails There's like an elote sort of mezcal cocktail that uh, we've seen a lot that we'll probably have to revisit for agave month coming up in August on liquid gold. We mentioned squash and just how beneficial that can be in your garden. And as one of your foundational three sisters, squash can also do really well when it's planted with uh, peas, radishes, dill and marigolds and marigolds are really a beautiful flower to keep around we talked about it on the flower episode they do help sort of repelling pests away and they're a nice pollinator to have around some of these uh, bedrock plants that you're going to be planting now you do want to keep summer squash away from potatoes 
both of those plants are prone to blight and will, you know, potentially just not help each other out. Now, we've talked a little bit about beans and how uh, so many of these bean varieties that you're going to plant out here in the hot summer sun of the south are going to want something to climb up. There are some uh, half-runner beans. If you look around for half-runner beans or mountaineer half-runner beans, they don't always need to be trellises. They're more bush bean types. But a lot of these delicious ones that you do want to grow, like some lima bean varieties and Chinese noodle beans, which do really well out here. Purple whole peas do really well. And there's plenty of them. Different varieties of green beans. And what's the one I'm thinking of? Dragon's tongue. I always grow the dragon's tongue beans and uh, they're just incredible. And they really like this climate as well. Uh, some other good companions for beans, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, some other members of the cabbage family you can keep over kind of on that, the other side of your beans from your corn, along with cucumbers, peas, potatoes, and radishes are all good for green beans. You do want to try to keep beets and onion family. And the, the onion family is just something that I love having like chives around and uh, Chinese garlic. I've always had that in my garden. Those flowers are just so delicious when they come around later in the summer. But you do want to be careful about what you're planting near onions. Green beans and other bean varieties being being one of those vegetables that you do not want to plant near onions, uh, if at all possible. They sneak over and they just kind of take some of those nutrients that uh, that the beans really need to thrive. So that's something. You do want to sort of separate your pepper plants from your bean plants. You don't want those to really interact a whole lot. Basil is an herb that we probably need a whole episode on. Uh, basil is such an awesome herb to grow in the garden that, that uh, is such a nice companion plant for tomatoes and for peppers, but you do want to keep uh, the beans separate from the peppers. So basil is something you can plant near your peppers and your tomato plants, and it's cool when you start to think about herbs and companion planting. A lot of times you can go off of which herb goes well with which ingredients. So cucumber and dill, classic pairing. They also really like to be planted near each other. So that's kind of cool. You've also got tomatoes, which love to be planted near parsley and basil. And that just makes such a great harmonious smell. So I love that every year in the summer when you've got your basil plant, your tomato plant, you can really smell the herbaceous aromas of the tomato leaves, the sunlight hitting the tomato leaves. It's beautiful. And uh, parsley as well, which has, parsley almost smells a little bit like if you mixed basil and tomato leaves together, you'd have a little bit of a parsley vibe. Um, also, if you mixed tomato leaves and parsley it kind of smells like basil. So some of these mystical ways that these plants work together also plays out in how they go together in dishes and how they go together in a drink that you might make with them. So basil is one to, you probably want to have more basil than you realize because you can plant basil all over near your tomatoes and your peppers and they're going to be friends. They were just, you know, made for each other. Another one for tomatoes, marigolds are just great for tomatoes. So you could even have like parsley, marigolds, basil. If you had those around your tomatoes along with like lettuce, they're going to they're gonna be really happy. Uh, you can also do carrots, celery. You can do things from the onion family near tomatoes. So 
that is one that you've got to watch out for with stuff like squash, cucumbers, beans, corn, but onion family stuff uh, does really well next to tomatoes. Um, So that's kind of cool. You do want to watch with tomatoes, planting them too close to any fennel, dill, um, rosemary, and the cabbage family. So you do want to kind of keep those away. Corn and tomatoes can both have that corn earworm we mentioned, so you do want to watch for that. We've talked a little bit about cucumbers, and what's amazing about cucumbers is all the flowers that you will get off healthy cucumber plants and how you can kind of pinch those flowers that are coming to you on a stalk. So if they have their own little or their own little stem, those are the male uh, flowers that you can use in drinks and use in different salads and things. And it's just incredible. Same thing with squash. When you are picking squash blossoms, you want to pick those blossoms that are attached to a stem, like a long stem. And a lot of people when they're picking squash blossoms or cucumber blossoms, you don't want to pick all of them at once. You want to leave some of them around to help with the pollination. But uh, one of the joys of growing cucumbers and squash is using the flowers because it's something that you're just not really going to find or can be really tough to find or expensive in the markets. And when you're picking, uh, when you're picking these flowers, cucumbers, squash blossoms, you don't want to pick any of the vegetables that you can tell or the plants that you can tell are turning into cucumbers or turning into squash. And those are usually going to be closer to the base of the plant on squash. And with cucumbers, it's pretty easy to be able to tell that a cucumber is starting to form. And uh, But when you do have these blossoms coming off on their own stem, those are the ones you want to go for. And that can kind of help your uh, plant be super productive. So we mentioned dill with cucumbers. Another one, you can do peas and radishes and celery next to uh, next to cucumbers. Beans will work as well. They're, they're that nitrogen fixer in the garden. One thing that has been, the Farmer's Almanac talks about this, that uh, sage and cucumber, they don't really get along. Now, I could see them together in a drink possibly, but when you're, when you're planting, um, sage apparently stunts the growth of nearby cucumbers. So that's something to think about. So you can start to kind of draw these things out and you can see like, oh, I don't want this stuff too close to my tomatoes, but I do want maybe the onions, basil, parsley close to my tomatoes. I don't want those close to my cucumbers, but this dill, peas, celery, bean situation is great next to my cucumbers. And you start to kind of, you see how nature can kind of design your own garden for you and can tell you what to plant with what. Another kind of interesting one that you want to watch out for and you want to keep these two plants away, radishes are a big one right now. They'll do really well for a lot of this late spring, early summer time period, Uh, but you do want to watch for hyssop and planting that too close to your radishes. Those are two ingredients that just don't really get along and you want to steer clear of that. So I hope that that helps with some of your companion planting adventures some of these herbs that we've talked about on the show, there are some that you really want to watch out for planting too close to anything that you're hoping to get a lot of production out of. Like this year, I really want a lot of tomatoes and I'm looking forward to using more squash and squash blossoms in some of my cooking here at the house. But fennel, I was looking on this site, remineralize.org that has some information on that stuff, Um, regenerating your soil, things like that. There's a, some herb companion planting info on there, and, it, and one thing it says about fennel, um, most plants dislike this herb. 
So poor fennel just does not have many friends in the world of companion planting. So it can be really awesome to use. And, and those fennel flowers are just amazing. That pollen you can make into like a salt or like your own little seasoning. Just amazing. But you do probably want to have it in its own little zip code in your garden or its own little area. And uh, they mentioned on that site about dill and how it is not a fan being close to carrots and caraway, which is sort of interesting when you think about how uh, caraway and dill go so well together. So there are a few things out there that you just have to watch out for. Basil and rue are two herbs that don't like being uh, planted near each other. Angelica, which is something I'm looking to grow this year. I have the seeds all ready to go. Angelica is something you want to watch out for planting too close to dill. We talked about on the flower episode and the pollinating episode, borage. And borage is just a great companion plant for so many different things, tomatoes being key because they help to repel tomato worms. And so borage is great for uh, tomatoes and squash. It's going to help bring more pollinators to your garden. So a big fan of borage and uh, have a few plants out in my garden and I'm looking to get more going as, uh, as a move here into the summer. And now it is time we are going to walk down Exert Alley here, set to some beautiful music by Upright T-Rex Music. This is uh, part of the rhubarb section in the book, my book, Garden to Glass, Grow Your Drinks from the Ground Up, out on Turner Publishing, all those things. Check it out turnerpublishing.com and you can also find a link on my Instagram for the book. Uh, Rhubarb is just fascinating to me and really enjoyed kind of diving into it in the book. Rhubarb is native to Siberia and has been used medicinally throughout Asia for thousands of years. The purgative power of these early rhubarb varieties was so revered in Chinese medicine and throughout Asia, Europe, and Russia that the plant was used as a diplomatic tool amid disputes between bickering kingdoms. In 1759, the Qianlong Emperor of the Qing Dynasty forbid the export of tea and rhubarb to Russia after a border conflict in northern China. Italians began planting rhubarb and using it for culinary purposes throughout the 18th century, and Chinese rhubarb, a way of saying the good medicinal stuff, was used in many early vermouth and canato recipes and is still used today. If you inspect the beautifully unique packaging for Koki Barolo Canato, a triangular box with depictions of key ingredients on one side, you'll notice Chinese rhubarb as one of the ingredients. By the 19th century, the Chinese government, keenly aware of how popular it was throughout Britain, threatened to withhold all exports of rhubarb if British merchants did not stop trading in opium. Some historians suggest the Opium War, let's face it, an intriguing name for a war if there ever was one, should actually have been called the Rhubarb War. I want that t-shirt. <laughs> the Rhubarb Wars. In the United States, if you happen to be lucky enough to live in a mountainous area such as the Rocky Mountains, where rhubarb begins to shoot up at the tail end of a short spring season, you may be able to find it in abundance all around you. Many of the largest rhubarb plants in the world reside in Alaska, where descendants of the plants grown in the early 1900s by gardener Henry Clark, known as the Rhubarb King, still grow to this day. One thing is for sure, rhubarb will outlive us all. Settlers and natives of the Americas did not, as it turned out, 
share very well. But one tradition they both engaged in, as if compelled by the stifling colder months, was that of spring tonics. Believed to spur circulation and prepare the body for the coming work of spring, these tonics can still have a place in our drinking routine today. Many early tonic recipes involved gathering whatever wild herbs and greens would first pop up at the beginning of spring, boiling them in water, and drinking the resulting liquid known as pot liquor. Dandelion was a popular ingredient for many of these spring tonics, and we use its floral, honeyed, bittersweet magic alongside rhubarb in our spring tonic. For centuries, rhubarb has been known as the pie plant, and it is a phenomenal dessert ingredient for one reason. It's begging for sugar, at least to our raised-on-Coca-Cola palates. Rhubarb contains oxalic acid, which gives the stalks that tart, sour pop that squeezes your cheeks like Aunt Millie. As mentioned previously, the leaves contain so much oxalic acid that they can be poisonous and therefore never to be used. We talked about that on the previous episode. But these tart and acidic sensibilities also make rhubarb a perfect ingredient for syrups and cordials. But there's another ingredient in addition to sugar that we'll want to have on hand when using rhubarb, angelica. Whether in fresh or dried form, this often hard-to-find herb with a very subtle fennel licorice flavor shares many of the beautifully complex flavors of rhubarb and helps to integrate the flavor of rhubarb into cocktails. Angelica is something that we will cover on a future episode. I want to get into that. I just got some seeds of Angelica that I'm getting going, and so I'll update you on how that journey goes. The recipe I want to give from the book here is the Spring Rhubarb Collins. All right, and uh, this is one of those B.I.G. drinks. We have the little uh, icon that Jess Matchin did in the book. It's all coming full circle here. B.I.G. standing for Build in Glass, something that Jess Backus, our previous interview guest, knows a lot about. We used to love making B.I.G. drinks together. But this spring rhubarb Collins, you need one large rhubarb stalk divided, the juice of one lemon, three-quarter to an ounce or so of lemon, uh, three-quarter ounce rhubarb angelica cordial, which that recipe is in the book as well. It's a rhubarb angelica syrup. Five fresh angelica leaves, optional, because I realize not everybody's going to have that around. One and a half ounces Plymouth Navy Strength Gin. One ounce spring tonic, which is uh, one of these spring tonics uh, that we talk about in the book. Some soda water. So Mountain Valley Sparkling Water or Topo Chico are both great to have on hand. And some Candied Angelica, which would be just next level as a garnish. So how you make this, you cut two two-inch pieces of rhubarb and set the stalk and set the rest of the stalk aside for garnish. Place the rhubarb pieces in a large glass. How large depends on how long you want to sit on your porch without getting up to make another one. If your glass is big gulp worthy, go ahead and double the recipe. (laughs) Add the lemon juice, cordial, and if available, the angelica. Muddle this mixture together, taking care not to smash the herbs to smithereens. Go gentle. Add the gin and the spring tonic and fill the glass half full with ice. Stir everything together to incorporate. Top with a little more ice, then add your soda water to fill the glass. That wasn't so hard, was it? Add your large stock of rhubarb to swizzle away the rest of your afternoon and garnish with some angelica using either a few fresh leaves, the flowers, or some candied angelica, which can be used as a straw. So you can get pretty intense with this stuff. That's right. 
Um, so I encourage you, make any kind of version of that rhubarb muddled together with sugar, some gin, and lemon. That's your rhubarb Collins. It's amazing because the rhubarb and lemon are just going to be friends because they both are giving you that acidic pop. So you are going to want to get a sweetener of some sort. Um, you know what you could do? You could make it kind of like a Paloma and you could do the lemon, the rhubarb, and a sweeter soda, like a lemon-lime soda, like a Sprite, if that's what you've got around. But you could go definitely seasonal and artisanal with, you know, like a pineapple Haritos would be amazing. Uh, even the grapefruit would probably be really good. So you got like a little gin, rhubarb, paloma situation. So there's all these different creative ways that you can go about um, using rhubarb. We are going to see if we can get Mr. Kenneth Dedman on the line. Coming up next. All right, and on the line, as promised, right here, it's Garden Teened on Liquid Gold, a man abroad traveling the wild western highways and byways. He is Kenneth Dedman. Kenneth, how are you? It's good to hear from you. Sheesh, yeah, doing good, Mike. Miss you a bunch. Miss you, bro, but I'm loving the pictures of from the set of Planet of the Apes 4. <laughs> 400 <laughs> uh, which one is that i don't know but it looked like you were on the set of the original when you sent those pictures from the just outside the redwoods in the rocky oh, beaches yeah. of northern california uh, yeah uh it's a uh, return of the jedi yeah return, of, return of the jedi what i hearken to yeah right here. yeah kind of like up in the hills in the redwoods right now kind of came down to gather supplies Cool. You seeing any uh, Bigfoot? No. There's a there's all kinds of Bigfoot Yeti stuff out here. Yeah, no. What's nuts though is is kind of where we're at. You see a bunch of stickers of like crosshairs on helicopters, which I think is like some old um, post Vietnam weed country out here. So apparently, like a lot of Vietnam vets, like lots of Vietnam vets, thousands of them settled out here after. In the late 80s, mid, mid to late 80s, and started growing marijuana. Pretty wild. But we're on, like, country roads out here and uh, being respectful of a lot of properties. You never really know. Yeah, I feel like Nick Nolte could play that guy in the movie. Yeah, totally. Yeah, get Nolte in there. A while back, though. Yeah, maybe Woody Harrelson. McConaughey. Pairing. Snoop Dogg. Classic pairing. <laughs> Uh, so today on the show, we've been talking about companion planting, all the wonders of tomatoes, planting them with basil, parsley, plant, planting cucumbers with dill, planting all these things that just kind of work together flavor wise, but also work together as companions. Yeah. Uh, what have you covered so far? Or you just want to hear what I like? We did, uh, we did the three sisters and that whole native American heritage of that. That was kind of my first introduction to the Three Sisters, walking in the Three Sisters Garden that's at the uh, Native American Museum in Washington, D.C. Um, so, talked a little bit about that. Yeah, I always do like a California pizza when I'm growing tomatoes. And I don't particularly like to grow tomatoes unless I'm motivated to it. I don't do it every year. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I kind of actually do like a pizza slice garden where I put uh, tomatoes along the crust the crust end and make my way into heart like hearty 
other components like uh like carrots grow really well that's why i call it like a california pizza because they put carrot in their pizza i can't believe you spend like a couple days in california and you're just all about the california pizza kitchen (laughs) there's this nashville restaurant that got me into california pizza and (laughs) it's the only the only reason that i liked it was because it had like carrots on it like roasted carrots oh yeah thought it went really well with with cheese you know that's awesome so yeah like uh carrots carrots grow really well with tomatoes and like baby carrots you can i mean that's the only thing that i'll like splurge on seeds with is a lot of carrot seeds so that i can grow very small ones Mm -hmm. pull them out and uh use the tops for something else and you have like inch and a half carrots that you can just throw on top of your pizza and roast that are delicious and then you got like basil and anything but fennel fennel don't don't grow well with anything but dill <laughs> we did but, but. it's funny i did talk about fennel uh because there's this site i was looking at remineralized.org i believe and they have this herb companion planting chart and i mentioned on the show earlier how under fennel it says does not like to does not like to be close to much <laughs> no so. fennel, fennel grows like plentiful early too it's it's typically like one of the first things you see coming out of the cold season sure and that's probably because nothing nothing else that grows out of the cold season likes to be near it you know it's finicky it's it's kind of weird no one wants to be its neighbor right well we know how strong it is how strong of a flavor it can be so yeah what else like borage actually is pretty good we always talk yeah just talk to borage borage is great for tomato plants the flavor transfers and like Cucumbers, yes, but like kind of off on the other side of the borage plant. I use a lot of water too. I think the time has come for. It's booze news with Kenneth Deadman, California Pizza Edition. There's a crazy story that we've got that you've that you've got here for uh, a wine centric booze news. And I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped too. Like uh, this falls into a semi-hero category in our uh, mm-hmm. loser versus hero story in Modesto, California, last week. Uh, hero versus uh, idiot. W- what did I say? Loser. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, no. Why would I call this guy? He's no, definitely no. a hero. You never, you never call an idiot a loser. <laughs> call yourself a loser. Call someone else an idiot. There you go. In uh, Modesto, California, a gentleman jumped onto a, a tanker truck filled with about 1,000 gallons of wine, uh, which equals out to about 500 bottles. Uh, what a legend. 50 milliliter bottles. Yes, the gentleman actually had uh, flagged the truck over with his uh, hazard hazard lights on, indicating that he, he needed help, then appeared out of the car in uh, basically his underwear. Amazing. Then ran, then ran around the side of the truck. Uh, of course, when the trucker, I imagine when the trucker had seen him half naked, he assumed he didn't need any help or just was not interested in uh, offering any so as he pulled back onto the highway, the the half-naked gentleman had hopped onto the side of the truck and wedged his way under the, tr- the, the tank 
on the trailer and uh, unleash the valve on the bottom, kind of in like uh, what what the police described as a snow angel position. <laughs> and uh, rode the truck as it was hit hitting highway speeds, drinking, <laughs> drinking everything that, that dropped. Dang, what a just amazing feat of strength. So yeah, we couldn't uh, find the video because I think it's still caught up in litigation as it's new. But uh, yeah, when it does surface, and it will, we will uh, we will put it on our on our on our Instagram. But I'm pretty sure everyone's going to see it. The description of it was just insane for how many cameras they apparently had on the tanker truck too. So. Yeah, so the guy driving the truck lost track of this dude. Didn't think he was on the truck. Got gets back on the highway, gets up to like sixty five. This dude's hanging off the truck and so drinking every, wine. Every tanker truck, anything that's carrying liquid has a valve like in the cabin, so you can see if you're. Yep. If if you're not feeling that you're losing all that inertia, you can see that you're losing it. So as soon as he saw that he lost it, like typical. I guess protocol is to call the highway patrol and let them know that you have a leak because that's what he assumed that he had. I'm leaking wine. That's great. Wow. Um, I, yeah, like our, our buddy uh, Stephen, a good close friend of ours, Stephen, would say that it's a new meaning for getting tanked or some shit like that. It's <laughs> good. It's good you're channeling him. Yeah, I feel like he's right here. Yeah, that's my favorite booze news story of 2020. I don't see it being beat in any way. Well, it's just like a rando, like, well, it was well calculated because the guy didn't, the guy knew that it was a wine truck. He, he had he had probably done it before. You don't do that to like a gasoline truck or just Yeah, a yeah. He knew what he was truck. doing. Yeah. Milk truck would be dope though. Anyway, um, in Tokyo, don't like to talk about the 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 COVID, the, the virus is going on right now. But in Tokyo, the Kyuchu Brewery is collecting unsold beer from local bars and making gin out of it to be returned to local bars. Oh, uh, cool. Apparently, they have three breweries and they have stills in every one. So in all the communities that they're in, they are gathering all of these unused, soon to spoil beers and wines and just distilling them. I love it. Returning, a, yeah. Typically, I, I think like in a work stoppage for a place, I wouldn't say this is across the board, but a lot of your distributors will buy back a lot of the product that hasn't been touched, but a lot of stuff is dated or open. Say a keg is tapped. Sure. Um, it's going to go bad. So they're offering a service. If it's over 200 liters, they will distill it. As long as you pay for the shipping costs, uh, they'll send it back to you. Pretty sustainable. Yeah, I mean, it's the ultimate sustainable. It's going to be garbage. Plenty of times I've looked at an old bar site, and there's beer that's sitting there from eight years eight years before. Cases and cases of it went bad. Couldn't do anything with it then. Cheerio, I guess. Yeah, that's a cool story. I like that. Uh, that's something uh, the Japanese would do. Something smart. Something sustainable. Something that makes a ton of sense. I was pretty pumped on it because I like it when breweries have a steal. Just for that reason. Say if they have a bad batch or a batch that they don't want to put out, like they can at least extract the alcohol and, and roll with it, find another project for it. 
guess that's what you taught me the most in restaurants. Yeah, right. You know, like, once you're done with that, find another use for that until you find no more uses. Awesome, buddy. Well, uh, that's a solid booze news. I feel like those are two stories that uh, are going to kind of stand the test of time this year. Something we'll probably be looking back into. We'll we'll check back in with our, our wine truck drinking friend and legend and hero slash partial idiot and uh and then <laughs> not a loser it'll be it'll be interesting to see <laughs> be interesting to see about this gin and what people think of it and what comes of that that'll be very interesting so thank you for checking in once again on booze news he is the mobile kenneth the mobile man with the news that has the booze what's yeah, newsworthy good. is booze worthy in these times thanks for calling in bud Thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, I'll talk to you in the next couple of days. Probably going to move moving on soon. Moving on down the road. You've been through the salt flats of Utah, the wide open, windy prairies of Wyoming, the uh, get the hell out of here, old school mountain town, quote unquote friendliness of Steamboat, Colorado, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and many parts in between. We look forward to hearing more. Kenneth's going to stay on the line here as we are about to sign off for today. And here on Garden Teen, our series here on Liquid Gold, looking to give you a little escape, a little bit of gardening know-how, a little bit of our uh, subtle wisdom that we've gained along the way and what we're still learning every day out there in the garden as we are spending more time at home and more time in the garden. Again, find us on Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod. He is Kenneth Deadman. He is at Deadman K on Instagram. I am Mike Wolf. Find me at Mike Wolf underscore Garden of Glass. Garden of Glass, grow your drinks from the ground up. The book from Turner Publishing online. I'll have a link for that. And uh, we're going to keep this Garden Teen series rolling for a little while here. We'll have some other interviews coming up soon and projects to talk a lot about. There's a lot going on in the Liquid Gold offices. We're staying busy. Hell yeah, we are. I'm out here making Darren drive me around the damn country. Yeah, we miss Darren. We appreciate uh, his ability to edit a few things along the way. So his yeah. laptop is apparently still working. Got to throw a shout out. Jess Matchin doing all the cool Garden Teen logos and all Thank that you, stuff. She's also involved in a project we're going to talk about real soon. Thank you to Michael Eads from We Own This Town, WeOwnThisTown.net, and Love Upright T Rex for the uh, for the lovely tunage. And Kenneth, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Mike. I love you. Love you, too. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Cheers. Happy gardening. And hang in there. We're going to get through this. Later, later. We'll see you next time on Liquid Gold.